Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Sandra Jakes and I am an attorney with Legal One. Today we will be discussing excessive staff absenteeism issues. I will go through the standards and give you some example cases, uh, a couple of them from 2022. They're fairly recent cases. As always, I cannot give you legal advice. I'm simply here to inform you what the law is and to show you cases that have occurred so that you can hopefully avoid some of the same problems that occurred in those cases and understand what needs to be done. Overall, I will tell you that when dealing with this, you're going to need a lot of progressive discipline to deal with excessive absenteeism issues by your staff. This is not something where they're just absent for a month and all of a sudden you're going to get them fired. That's not how it works. And you'll see through the cases and through the requirements of what you do need. So a word about the case summaries, I'm going to be summarizing a few teach NJ arbitration decisions today. And understand, I only know the facts that the arbitrator gives me in their decision. So if you know the people involved personally or work in the school district where this happened, you may know a few things that are not in the cases. Uh, I'm always happy to hear from you to find out what those are, but let's move forward with what we have here. In reading many absenteeism cases where staff are brought up on conduct of becoming charges over the years, there are three criteria that have come up, whether it's excessive absenteeism, tardiness, or as you're gonna see in one of the cases today, leaving early. So the three elements are, number one, the particular circumstances of the absences and not merely the number of absences. So they don't just look to, okay, you've got 180 days against a staff member. What they're gonna look at is why was the staff member out? Was it because they were in a car accident? Was it because they had other medical conditions? Or do they not have a defense as to why they were out? And you're expected to learn this information as the school district to determine whether these absences are valid or not. Number two, you have to look at the impact that the absences had on the continuity of instruction during the period of time the absences occurred, not merely after the fact. Now, for those that are not in the classroom that this is an issue, what problem did there not being there cause? It can't just be they weren't there. There has to have been some bad result that came from them not showing up from work. Thirdly, you have to be able to show that there was some warning given to the employee that his or her supervisors were dissatisfied with the pattern of absences. These can include written warnings, improvement plans, counseling of past infractions with no indication of improvement, and other evidence that if you give this employee another chance, they're still not gonna improve. They're still gonna have the same problems. Now, I've mentioned progressive discipline. This is a big deal when you're dealing with staff absenteeism cases. Typically, progressive discipline will involve, in the first case, a verbal warning, 
and a follow-up email saying, look, we've told you you're in violation of the policy. Here's the problem that is occurring. You need to stop. Of course, we'll put it in nicer terms than I just did, but that is the gist of what that type of conversation needs to be. There's no limit on how many of those nice conversations with a confirming email that there are. It all depends on the situation that you're encountering. The next step would possibly be a written reprimand, something that's officially in their file so that it's proven, look, you're really not doing what you're supposed to do. We've already warned you once or however many times you may have warned them and you're still not improving. After that is typically an increment withholding to prove that, look, this is really a problem. You got to stop this because it's, it's not getting better. And then typically after the increment withholding or sometimes in dealing with absenteeism cases, particularly with hourly workers, their pay might be docked or things along those lines. So after that, then is when you can consider filing conduct of becoming charges for excessive absenteeism. But you have to have at least a year's worth usually of documentation to substantiate that for an employee to be terminated. The thing is, if you file conduct on becoming charges prior to amassing all of that progressive discipline, in the cases that I've read, the employee is not going to be dismissed. They may get the letter of reprimand. They may get the increment withholding or the deduction of pay, but they're not going to be fired. So it's very important that you show you have given a fair chance. It can't seem like you're sitting back and just waiting for the gotcha moment of, I know you're getting a lot of absences here. I don't like you anyway, so we're just going to wait till you have some number that we've chosen to be enough, and then we're going to go after you for charges. It doesn't work that way. The court will not agree with that. So you must be able to show progressive discipline. And I always stress, if it's not in writing, it did not happen. So I mentioned earlier that you'll have the nice conversation. Hey, you've been absent quite a bit, or you've been tardy. We've noticed that you've been doing this. This is a problem. As you know, you can't do this under your contract. It violates district policy. You know, If you have any problems, please let us know and we'll look into it. You have to be able to show you had those conversations. And when an employee is going to testify, their job is on the line or money is on the line for them. So they may agree, yes, we had a meeting, but we talked about how nice my bulletin boards were or how wonderful I'm doing in my job. So after you have these nice conversations, you do want to send a very innocuous email that says, this will confirm our conversation this morning in your classroom, wherein we discussed and whatever you talked about. That way you have written documentation that you had the nice conversation where you let them know something was wrong, but they weren't disciplined for it. So they had a chance to fix whatever it was that they were doing wrong. And if possible, I suggest attaching a PDF of whatever policy they violated. Now you have to look at your collective bargaining agreement. There may be something in there that says you cannot do it. However, in most cases, you probably can. So you might wanna follow up on that because the most common defense of anyone when conduct unbecoming charges are brought against them is, I did not know I couldn't do that. So if you send those friendly little emails and you've attached a copy of the board policy, that nullifies those defenses. Keep this in mind as we go forward. When I talk about these cases, you're going to see where those three steps were or were not proven by the district. So the first case I have to talk about is Arnold Anderson versus City of New Brunswick. This is from 2015. And conduct unbecoming charges were filed against a tenured teacher for chronic tardiness. Between 2013 and 14, he had been late 49 times and punched in after 8.40, and 16 times where he punched in five minutes after that. Then in 2014-15, he had been late 40 times after the 8.40 requirement, and then had six late punch-in times of five or more minutes. 
in addition to those 40 times. So he wasn't just late, he was really, really late. Uh, the teacher claimed, well, even though I was late, there was never a problem in the classroom. Ultimately, the arbitrator decided that the teacher would remain suspended without pay until the first day of classes for January of 2016. The rationale was the district had meticulously tracked the teacher's cascade of tardiness, none of which were plausibly explained by the teacher. Remember that first element? It's not just the number of absences, it's why they were absent, and here there was no explanation for it. Students are entitled to receive the teacher's very best efforts for the entire period, and not merely for the remaining portion of the period following the teacher's chronically late arrivals. So this addresses what problem was caused. And in this situation, okay, fine, maybe he thought he did well when he came in and he was giving them a good education, but he was still late and they weren't getting the full class time that they were supposed to get. So there's your harm that I talked about in the second requirement for absenteeism, tardiness issues. However, going back to that list of what's required, remember the third requirement is that you have to show progressive discipline. And that wasn't done in this case. The arbitrator said that with a decade and a half of service, progressive discipline and due process sufficiently mitigate against summary discharge in this case. There was no proof he had been warned of anything. There was no proof of having a letter in his jacket or having uh, his pay docked or anything along those lines. So since they didn't prove that they had given him advance warning, he wasn't going to be disciplined for it where he was going to be fired. Okay. Moving on to the next case, this is a 2019 case where it was uh, Nomia, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, Gomes versus the Board of Ed of Elizabeth. And this was back in March of 2019. This was a case against a, an administrative secretary where she was charged with excessive absenteeism and neglect of duty for failing to report to work and additionally abandonment of the position. So given her history, there had been a long history of absences between 2008 in 2018, she had missed many, many days. 2008-9 year, 27.38 days. 2009 through 2010, she was on a paid leave of absence. 2010 through 2011, she had missed 68.43 days. 2011 through 2012, she had missed 112.13 days. 2012 through 2013, she had missed 33.93 days. 2013 through 2014, she had missed 40.75 days. 2014 through 2015, she had missed 47.58 days. 2015 through 2016, she had missed 109.05 days. 2016 through 2017, she had missed 74.76 days and also had 107 days leave of absence. And then 2017 through 2018, she had missed 108.60 days through January 22nd of 2018, which is when the tenure charges were pursued. Her last day actually worked was August 23rd of 2017. And the last time she had submitted medical documentation to prove that she needed to be absent was in October of 2017. The tenure charges were filed in February of 2018. But here's the problem in this case. Her defenses were, there was no attendance improvement plan, there was no progressive discipline, and she had medical excuses for her absences. Her discipline history had been 2007, 2008 year, 2008, 2009 year, there'd been a couple of memos. 2010 through 2011, there had been an increment withholding, and 2012 through 2013, there had been another increment withholding. Now, remember, they're putting charges against her that extended beyond 2013. They went all the way up till 2018. So ultimately, for the absenteeism issues, she wasn't going to be fired because what the arbitrator said was, and this is a quote from the arbitrator, 
The recitation of absences over a 10-year period rings hollow when the Board of Ed failed to adequately and seriously address those issues during the course of respondents' employment. It also has an obligation to monitor an employee's attendance and counsel and progressively discipline the employee in an effort to improve that attendance. If this case rested solely on the employee's past attendance record, the district would have difficulty overcoming the absence of any recent significant and progressive discipline. Remember, her last discipline was in 2012 through 2013, where she had an increment withholding, and these charges were going all the way up through 2018. However, in addition to excessive absenteeism, the board had filed charges that she had abandoned her position. And this is where the district prevailed, because they could show that her authorized leave stopped in October of 2017, when no medical records were produced to substantiate why she was being absent. And therefore, she had abandoned her position and her unauthorized leave constituted a neglect of duty. So she had the opportunity once the tenure charges were filed to put in whatever evidence there would have been to defend her of why she was absent beyond October. And she did not do that. As a matter of fact, she did not even go to the hearing and had no explanation for her absences. Again, going back to prong one that I mentioned, you can't just show the number, you have to show there's a plausible reason for them. And that wasn't done here. So let me jump to two 2022 cases. The first one involves two night custodians. It's Johns and Lopez versus the Belleville School District. This was from April of 2022. The argument was that they were leaving their job one hour and 15 minutes early, multiple times during March of 2021. Their shift was 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. and they weren't fulfilling that according to the district. They did not seek permission to leave early and that supposedly there have been claims by teachers and staff that the school lacked cleanliness of the building and other issues along those lines. And do note, this was during the COVID-19 period. So the district is alleging that there were additional health protocols and by the custodians failing to clean properly, that caused a danger to staff and children. Ultimately, they pulled video and they noticed that the custodians were leaving early a number of times during the month of March of 2021. And the district did believe that they had been doing this prior to March of 2021 but they had only produced evidence of and filed their conduct on becoming charges based on March of 2021 allegations. For Mr. Johns, there had been no prior discipline. For Mr. Lopez, there had been letters of reprimand between 2008 and 2014, which he contends he had injuries that he was dealing with and that was the reason for his absenteeism. However, it had been noted that he had been an employee of the district for 17 years and he had no prior discipline in the last seven years. This should be sounding familiar because I talked about it in the in the Gomez case. The defense was they claim, the custodians claim that they were told once the work is done, you can leave early. And they thought they had this permission from someone they believed to be their supervisor. The district would ultimately argue that number one, that permission was never given. And number two, the person you claim to have gotten it from wasn't authorized to do that. But that was their belief. And that's why they said they thought they could leave early. They also argued that this was a time of weird schedules and things were fluctuating and there had been days where they had reported to work early. So really it all balanced out to being the number of hours that were needed. They said the fluctuation in schedules led to confusion and they were really remorseful and they promised this type of issue would never happen again. The ultimate holding of the arbitrator was that they had indeed received full pay for working less than the required 8.5 hours. However, the claim of creating a dangerous situation for staff and students was not supported. Apparently, there had been issues of the room was maybe a little dusty or was unclean 
or something hadn't been sprayed properly or things along those lines. But other than saying that was the issue, the district, according to the arbitrator, did not put forth any evidence to support those. You can't just say, well, there was a problem because they didn't do their work. You have to say there was a problem because. And it being dusty and not picked up, perhaps, or not having whiteboards cleaned properly is not the because. That is supposedly what they did wrong. So there was no discussion of the problem that caused on the backside. And the district, based on the arbitration decision, had been saying because it was COVID-19, we had all these extra health risks. And the arbitrator saying, but there's no evidence of any health risk caused by what the custodians allegedly failed to do. So you can't just give it lip service. You have to say there was this problem because, and then articulate what problems occurred because whatever happened. The arbitrator also found that there was credible confusion as to who could give the permission to leave early and agreed that the custodians demonstrated a lack of judgment. They had both been there a while. They should have known who to talk to to get permission to leave early and that they just shouldn't have left early. However, ultimately, they did not lose their jobs. They would be reinstated without back pay. So the time that they had been out of work, instead of having to impose a suspension, that would become their discipline and that they should be returned to work as soon as reasonably possible. The next case we have is Bats versus Roselle School District. This was in June of 2022. It was a tenured elementary teacher. She allegedly had 400 consecutive days absent between October of 2017 and February of 2019, and that she had failed to work since 2017 without demonstrating a legitimate reason why, and had failed to provide ample medical documentation to substantiate and justify why she was out that much. In reading the case, I could not find any prior discipline that was noted in the case. So already the red flag should be going off here that she's not gonna be fired for what happened in this case. Her defense was she had been in a car accident and therefore she had a legitimate reason for being out. She had no bad evaluations and she had never been disciplined before. There was no offer to help improve whatever her absenteeism issues were and there were no warnings of a problem. Therefore, there was no progressive discipline as required. They failed to show the harm caused by the absences and that they miscalculated the absences and that the school district had miscalculated the absences and had listed as too many. Finally, she claimed that she was ready to return to work without restriction. Ultimately, the holding was she was to be reinstated. The district failed to show that she had any incapacity. If they wanted to challenge was she really sick or hurt enough to be out this amount of time, they could have requested an independent medical exam or further inquiry as to when can she return to work? Does she need three, two, one? Does she need reasonable accommodations? And there was no evidence offered of that. They failed to show an adverse impact caused by her absences and they were ordered to reinstate her and reimburse her fully. So there's an example of a couple of recent cases. Those are 2022 cases. So this is still going on. One last note that I'll leave you with is that it is possible to file dual charges. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to be filing inefficiency charges because a certificated staff member had two consecutive years of ineffective or partially effective or some combination thereof, it is very likely that some of the basis in there might be because of excessive absenteeism. So excessive absenteeism, as we've just talked about, is a charge that can stand on its own. So a lot of districts are filing both conduct unbecoming and inefficiency charges based on the same set of facts. Now do understand, you can't just say, oh yeah, in addition to the inefficiency charges, there's a conduct unbecoming case in there too. You have to articulate both claims as if you were filing them separately, but they will be part of one set of charges filed against the employee. And there have been a number of cases where the district loses on the inefficiency charges, but they do prevail on excessive absenteeism or 
things like insubordination and, and other various conduct issues that make up part of the evaluation of the quality of their work. So it's just a little something extra to keep in mind. With that, I will say thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it was educational for you and that you can use this information in your own district. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.